Chapter Four of the Slayer of Souls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Slayer of Souls by Robert W. Chambers. Chapter Four Body and Soul. The girl's direct gaze met his with that merciless searching intentness he already knew. What do you wish me to do? Enter the service of the United States. What? Work for the government. She was too taken aback to answer. Where were you born? He demanded abruptly. In Albany, New York, she replied in a dazed way. You are loyal to your country? Yes, certainly. You would not betray her? No. I don't mean for money. I mean from fear. After a moment, and avoiding his gaze, I am afraid of death, she said very simply. He waited. I, I don't know what I might do, being afraid, she added in a troubled voice. I desire to live. He still waited she lifted her eyes i'd try not to betray my country she murmured try to face death for your country's honor yes and for your own yes and for my own he leaned nearer yet you're taking a chance on your own honor tonight she blushed brightly i didn't think i was taking a very great chance with you he said you have found life too hard and when you faced failure in new york you began to let go of life real life i mean and you came up here tonight wondering whether you had courage to let yourself go when i spoke to you it scared you you found you hadn't the courage but perhaps tomorrow you might find it or next week if sufficiently scared by hunger you might venture to take the first step along the path that you say others usually take sooner or later the girl flushed scarlet sat looking at him out of eyes grown dark with anger he said you told me an untruth you have been tempted to betray your country you have resisted you have been threatened with death you have had courage to defy threats and temptations where your country's honor was concerned how do you know she demanded he continued ignoring the question from the time you landed in san francisco you have been threatened you tried to earn a living by your magician's tricks but in city after city as you came east your uneasiness grew into fear and your fear into terror because every day more terribly confirmed your belief that people were following you determined either to use you to their own purposes or to murder you the girl turned quite white and half rose in her chair and then sank back staring at him out of dilated eyes then cleves smiled so you've got the nerve to do government work he said and you've got the intelligence and the knowledge and something else i don't know exactly what to call it skill dexterity sorcery he smiled I mean your professional ability. Now that's what I want. 
that bewildering dexterity of yours to help your own country in the fight of its life will you enlist for service what fight she asked faintly the fight with the red spectre anarchy yes are you ready to leave this place i want to talk to you where in my own rooms after a moment she rose i'll go to your rooms with you she said she added very calmly that she was glad it was to be his rooms and not some other man's out of countenance he demanded what she meant and she said quite candidly that she'd made up her mind to live at any cost and that if she couldn't make an honest living she'd make a living anyway he offered no reply to this until they had reached the street and he had called a taxi on their way to his apartment he reopened the subject rather bluntly remarking that life was not worth living at the price she had mentioned that is the accepted christian theory she replied coolly but circumstances alter things not such things oh yes they do if one is already damned what difference does anything else make he asked sarcastically whether she considered herself already damned she did not reply for a few moments and then she said in a quick breathless way that souls have been entrapped through ignorance of evil and asked him if he did not believe it no he said i don't she shook her head you couldn't understand she said but i've made up my mind to one thing even if my soul has perished my body shall not die for a long long time i mean to live she added i shall not let my body be slain they shall not steal life from me whatever they may have done to my soul what in heaven's name are you talking about he exclaimed do you actually believe in soul snatchers and life stealers she seemed sullen her profile turned to him her eyes on the brilliantly lighted avenue up which they were speeding after a while i'd rather live decently and respectably if i can she said that is the natural desire of any girl i suppose but if i can't nevertheless i shall beat off death at any cost and whatever the price of life is i shall pay it because i am absolutely determined to go on living and if i can't provide the means i'll have to let some man do it i suppose it's a good thing it was i who found you when you were out of a job he remarked coldly i hope so she said even in the beginning i didn't really believe you meant to be impertinent a tragic smile touched her lips and i was almost sorry are you quite crazy he demanded no my mind is untouched it's my soul that's gone do you know i was very hungry when you spoke to me the management wouldn't advance anything and my last money went for my room last monday i had three dollars to face the future and no job i spent the last of it tonight on violets orange juice and cakes my furs and my gold bag remain i can go two months more on them then it's a job or she shrugged and buried her nose in her violets suppose i advance you a month's salary he said 
what am i to do for it the taxi stopped at a florist's on the corner of madison avenue and fifty-eighth street overhead were apartments there was no elevator merely the street door to one lock and four dim flights of stairs rising steeply to the top he lived on the top floor as they paused before his door in the dim corridor are you afraid he asked she came nearer laid a hand on his arm are you afraid he stood silent the latch key in his hand i'm not afraid of myself if that's what you mean he said that's partly what i mean you'll have to mount guard over your soul i'll look out for my soul he reported dryly do so i lost mine i i would not wish any harm to yours through our companionship don't you worry about my soul he remarked fitting the key to the lock but again her hand fell on his wrist wait i can't can't help warning you neither your soul nor your body are safe if if you ever do make of me a companion i've got to tell you this what are you talking about he demanded bluntly because you have been courteous considerate and you don't know oh you don't realize what spiritual peril is what your soul and body have to fear if you if you win me over if you ever manage to make of me a, a friend he said people follow and threaten you we know that i understand also that association with you involves me and that i shall no doubt be menaced with bodily harm he laid his hand on hers where it rested on his sleeves but that's my business miss norne he added with a smile so otherwise it being merely a plain business affair between you and me i think i may also venture my immortal soul alone with you in my room the girl flushed darkly you have misunderstood she said he looked at her coolly intently and arrived at no conclusion young very lovely confessedly without moral principle he still could not believe her actually depraved what did you mean he said bluntly in companionship with the lost one might lose one's way unawares do you know that there is an evil loose in the world which is bent upon conquest by obtaining control of men's minds no he replied amused and that through the capture of men's minds and souls the destruction of civilization is being planned is that what you learned in your captivity miss norne you do not believe me i believe your terrible experiences in china have shaken you to your tragic little soul horror and grief and loneliness have left scars on tender impressionable youth they would have slain maturity broken it crushed it but youth is flexible pliable and bends gives way under pressure scars become slowly effaced it shall be so with you you will learn to understand that nothing really can harm the soul for a few moments silence they stood facing each other on the dim landing outside his locked door nothing can slay our souls he repeated in a grave voice i do not believe you really ever have done anything to wound even your self-respect 
i do not believe you are capable of it or ever have been or ever will be but somebody has deeply wounded you spiritually and has wounded your mind to persuade you that your soul is no longer in god's keeping for that is a lie he saw her features working with poignant emotions as though struggling to believe him souls are never lost he said ungoverned passions of every sort merely cripple them for a space god always heals them in the end he laid his hand on the doorknob once more and lifted the latch-key don't she whispered catching his hand again if there should be somebody in there waiting for us there is not a soul in my rooms my servant sleeps out there is somebody there she said trembling nobody miss norne will you come in with me i don't dare why you and i alone together no oh please please i am afraid of what of giving you my confidence and and, and trust and, and for friendship i want you to i must not it would destroy us both soul and body i tell you he said impatiently that there is no destruction of the soul and it's a clean comradeship anyway a fighting friendship i ask of you all i ask all i offer wherein then lies this peril in being alone together because i am finding it in my heart to believe in you trust you hold fast to your strength and protection and if i give way yield and if i make you a promise and if there is anybody in that room to see us and hear us then we shall be destroyed both of us soul and body he took her hands held them until their trembling ceased i'll answer for our bodies let god look after the rest will you trust him she nodded and me yes but her face blanched as he turned the latch-key switched on the electric light and preceded her into the room beyond the place was one of those accentless typical bachelor apartments made comfortable for anything masculine but quite unlivable otherwise live coals still glowed in the hob grate and he placed a lump of cannel coal on the embers using a bellows vigorously and the flame caught with a greasy crackle the girl stood motionless until he pulled up an easy-chair for her and then he found another for himself she let slip her furs folded her hands around the bunch of violets and waited now he said i'll come to the point in nineteen sixteen i was at plattsburgh expecting a commission the department of justice sent for me I went to Washington where I was made to understand that I had been selected to serve my country in what is vaguely known as the Secret Service, and which includes government agents attached to several departments. The Great War is over, but I am still retained in the service, because something more sinister than a Hun victory over civilization threatens this republic, and threatens the civilized world. Anarchy, she said bolshevism she did not stir in her chair she had become very white she said nothing he looked at her with his quiet reassuring smile that's what i want of you he repeated 
I want your help, he went on. I want your valuable knowledge of the Orient. I want whatever secret information you possess. I want your rather amazing gifts, your unprecedented experience among almost unknown people, your familiarity with occult things, your astounding powers, whatever they are, hypnotic, psychic, material, because today civilization is engaged in a secret battle for existence against gathering powers of violence, the force and limit of which are still unguessed. It is a battle between righteousness and evil, between sanity and insanity, light and darkness, God and Satan, and if civilization does not win, then the world perishes. She raised her still eyes to his, but made no other movement. Miss Norn, he said, we in the International Service know enough about you to desire to know more. We already knew the story you've told to me. Agents in the International Secret Service kept in touch with you from the time that the Japanese escorted you out of China. From the day you landed and all across the continent to New York, you have been kept in view by agents of this government. Here in New York, my men have kept in touch with you. And now tonight, the moment has come for a personal understanding between you and me. The girl's pale lips moved, became stiffly articulate. I, I wish to live, she stammered. I fear death. I know it. I know what I ask when I ask your help she said in the ghost of a voice. If I turn against them, they will kill me. They'll try, he said quietly. They will not fail, Mr. Cleves. That is in God's hands. She became deathly white at that. No, she burst out in an agonized voice. It is not in God's hands. If it were, I should not be afraid. It is in the hands of those who stole my soul. She covered her face with both arms, fairly writhing on her chair. "'If the Yezidees have actually made you believe any such nonsense,' he began. But she dropped her arms and stared at him out of terrible blue eyes. "'I don't want to die, I tell you. I am afraid, afraid. If I reveal to you what I know, they'll kill me. If I turn against them and aid you, they'll slay my body and send it after my soul she was trembling so violently that he sprang up and went to her after a moment he passed one arm round her shoulders and held her firmly close to him come he said do your duty those who enlist under the banner of christ have nothing to dread in this world or the next if if i could believe i were safe there I tell you that you are, so is every human soul. What mad nonsense have the Yezidees made you believe? Is there any surer salvation for the soul than to die in Christ's service? He slipped his arm from her quivering shoulders and grasped both her hands, crushing them as though to steady every fibre in her tortured body. I want you to live. I want to live too. But I tell you it's in God's hands. And we soldiers of civilization have nothing to fear except failure to do our duty. Now then, are we comrades under the United States government? Oh, God! I dare not! 
are we perhaps she felt the physical pain of his crushing grip for she turned and looked him in the eyes i don't want to die she whispered don't make me will you help your country the terrible directness of her child's gaze became almost unendurable to him will you offer your country your soul and body he insisted in a low tense voice her stiff lips formed a word yes he exclaimed yes for a moment she rested against his shoulder deathly white then in a flash she had straightened was on her feet in one bound and so swiftly that he scarcely followed her movement was unaware that she had risen until he saw her standing there with a pistol glittering in her hand her eyes fixed on the portiere that hung across the corridor leading to his bedroom what on earth he began but she interrupted him keeping her gaze focused on the curtains and the pistol resting level on her hip i'll answer you if i die for it she cried i'll tell you everything i know you wish to learn what is this monstrous evil that threatens the world with destruction what you call anarchy and bolshevism it is an evil that was born before christ came it is an evil which not only destroys cities and empires and men but which is more terrible still for it obtains control of the human mind and uses it at will and it obtains sovereignty over the soul and makes it prisoner its aim is to dominate first then to destroy it was conceived in the beginning by Ehrlich and by sorcerers and devils always from the first there have been sorcerers and living devils and when human history began to be remembered and chronicled devils were living who worshipped Ehrlich and practiced sorcery they have been called by many names a thousand years before christ hassan sabah founded his sect called hassanis or assassins the yezidis are of them their chief is still called sabah their creed is the annihilation of civilization cleves had risen the girl spoke in a clear accentless monotone not looking at him her eyes and pistol centered on the motionless curtains look out she cried sharply what is the matter he demanded do you suppose anybody is hidden behind that curtain in the passageway if there is she replied in her excited but distinct voice here is a tale to entertain him the hassanas are a sect of assassins which has spread out of asia all over the world and they are determined upon the annihilation of everything and everybody in it except themselves in germany is a branch of the sect the hun is the lineal descendant of the ancient yezidee the gods of the hun are the old demons under other names the desire and object of the hun is the same desire to rule the minds and bodies and souls of men and use them to their own purposes she lifted her pistol a little came a pace forward anarchist yezidee hassani bush bolshevik all are the same all are secretly swarming in the hidden places for the same purpose 
the girl's blue eyes were aflame now and the pistol was lifting slowly in her hand to a deadly level sanang she cried in a terrible voice sanang she cried again in her terrifying young voice toad taunt his egg spittle of erlik may the thirty thousand calamities overtake you sheik el jebel cowardly khan whom i laughed at from the temple when it rained yellow snakes on the marble steps when all the gongs in yan sounded in your frightened ears she waited what you won't step out tokta she exclaimed in a ringing tone and made a swift motion with her left hand apparently out of her empty open palm like a missile hurled a thin blinding beam of light struck the curtains making them suddenly transparent a man stood there he came out moving very slowly as though partly stupefied he wore evening dress under his overcoat and had a long knife in his right hand nobody spoke so i really was to die then if i came here said the girl in a wondering way sanang's stealthy gaze rested on her stole toward cleves he moistened his lips with his tongue you deliver me to this government agent he asked hoarsely i deliver nobody by treachery you may go sanang he hesitated a graceful faultless metropolitan figure in top hat and evening attire and then as he started to move cleves covered him with his weapon i can't let that man go free cried cleves angrily very well she retorted in a passionate voice then take him if you're able tokta look out for yourself something swift as lightning struck the pistol from his grasp blinded him half stunned him set him reeling in a drenching blaze of light that blotted out all else he heard the door slam he stumbled caught at the back of a chair while his senses and sight were clearing by heavens he whispered with ashen lips you you are a sorceress or something what what are you doing to me there was no answer and when his vision cleared a little more he saw her crouched on the floor her head against the locked door listening perhaps or sobbing he scarcely understood which until the quiver of her shoulders made it plainer when at last cleves went to her and bent over and touched her she looked up at him out of wet eyes and her grief-drawn mouth quivered i-i don't know she sobbed if he truly stole away my soul there there in the temple dusk of yian but he stole my heart for all his wickedness sanang prince of the yezidees and i have been fighting him for all these years all these long years fighting for what he stole in the temple dusk and now now i have it back my heart all broken to pieces here on the floor behind your your bolted door end of chapter four